Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Merry Christmas, a ho-ho-ho, a happy Hanukkah, crazy Kwanzaa uh, from us here at The Contrarians. We're here for our annual Christmas bonus episode. My name, of course, is Alex, joined as always by Julio. Julio, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Christmas spirit, friends, family. Well, not quite. <laughs> Whataburger. <laughs> Whataburger. There you go. Last time we had Whataburger on set was when uh, Brandon Curtis was here, mm-hmm. just eating his fries. Here is a relative term when referring to Brandon <laughs> Curtis. He was around. He was while, present. Uh, uh, what movie was it? The, the not the Wild Magnificent Bunch. Seven. The Wild Bunch. No. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but much like when Curtis is here as a guest, we have a first-time guest of the Contrarians podcast, friend of the podcast, TJ. How are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing great. I am in the Christmas spirit now that I've watched one of my favorite Christmas movies. 
That's right. We have we have TJ to thank for yes. this uh, gem that Alex and I just discovered. Bringing to the table a movie I'd never heard of prior to this, TJ recommended we watch Mixed Nuts from 1994 that has a meager 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, after an hour and a half with that film, I don't really understand why. Once again, a movie that could be considered the poster child for our mission statement here at the podcast. Uh, also directed by a woman, directed by Nora Ephron on her triumphant return to the contrarians. Uh, and now that you know we're done with the female filmmakers arc, mm-hmm. which means that now we're doing a, a female filmmaker movie just for the hell of it. Yes, for the Christmas. Because they're good. They're doing yeah. good movies. They we have evolved. 7%. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even have to force ourselves to think about female filmmakers. It just happened. No. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, with the 7%, what, what are the critics saying about this? Uh, so this is a small sample because I guess it's an old movie. So Run Tomatoes was not the, the Goliath. Yeah. The phenomenon that it's today, there's like 28 quotes only, uh, and out of those only two are, uh, positive, but most of them, of course, are negative. Uh, starting with Clint Morris from Movie Hole, who says, So many nuts, so few laughs. Uh, Robin Clifford from Reeling Reviews simply says, Horrible, horrible, horrible. <laughs> uh, James Sanford from the Kalamazoo Gazette says, Awful, even worse when you think about the caliber of talent involved. Uh, then Fred Topple from About.com says, Terrible comedy with a few amu- amusing moments. Not dark enough on one end, not silly enough on the other. Louise Brealy from Empire Magazine says, The beginning of Steve Martin's non-funny comedies. How dare <laughs> should know better as well. Uh, I'll be curious to see what was the movie before Mixed Nuts and after Mixed Nuts on Steve Martin's career. I know he made Bowfinger. Following this. And Which both. is also a great movie. A great yeah. movie, yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe Louise Brillier and, uh, and The Contrarians, we don't share the same sense of humor. Uh, James Rodinelli from Real Views simply says, gag. It's just uh, lazy. Yeah. And then Derek Adams from Time Out says, Efren's timing and sensitivity have deserted her, leaving behind only the sentimentality. Pretty rough. The rough go of it. Uh, especially, I don't know. Christmas Eve, we're filled with childlike wonder right off the bat. Yeah, I think that like uh, part of the reaction to this might be that just like Steve Martin says at that crucial point in the movie, Christmas just kind of uh, uh, amplifies your feelings. So if a movie lets you down, mm. you just go all out on it, and that might be what happened. Well, one of those critics complained about it either being like not slapstick enough or too slapstick or being too dark. I think it like divided audiences because like some people maybe wanted like they thought the slapstick was funny, but there, it was too dark for a mm-hmm. Christmas movie because it was pretty dark. It was about a suicide hotline. Yeah. Uh, death sprinkled in there. Yes. Uh, pregnancies, gunshots, uh, Lapaglia. <laughs> but I, but I like dark. Yeah. <laughs> and for the slapstick fans, you had Adam Sandler in there. To me, it had everything you could want out of a comedy. Uh, it begins in California. Do we have the city? Is it Los Angeles, Sacramento? It's Indiana? L.A., I think. L.A.? Yeah. By the sea. That's all I know. It is. They were right on the beach there. Uh, Lifesavers Suicide Hotline, uh, run by Steve Martin uh, and his employees, uh, Mrs. Muchnick and Catherine. Catherine played by the future Mrs. Hanks, as you referred to her. 
Read the Wilson. That makes you sound like an asshole because, of course, you know, nothing's worse than when you refer to a woman as someone's wife or someone's sister. Read a goddamn Wilson. <laughs> but it was a true statement. <laughs> right, it is. But I think, I mean, I don't know. I could be just simply ignorant of her filmography. I just don't remember seeing her in many movies mm-hmm. ever. And But she's always, you know, next to Tom Hanks <laughs> when it's Tom true. Hanks is out there. So, uh but she is – this is probably the most I've seen her in a movie yeah. screen time-wise. And then from Blazing Saddles, you mentioned Madeline, uh, Madeline Kahn playing Blanche Muchnick. Uh, but again, Lifesavers is the name of their suicide hotline that they run. The movie starts off with giving us kind of an insight into a day in their life. But also, uh, before we can get there, it sets the stage of what's to come on the, the boardwalk. As uh, I believe the opening shot is – uh, La Paglia chasing Juliette Lewis. Is... No, the opening shot is Steve Martin with brown hair. Okay. <laughs> that sets the stage for the rest of the movie. <laughs> you know, this ain't your daddy's Christmas movie right off the bat. This ain't your daddy's Steve Martin. <laughs> That's true. He had He's had gray hair since like the 70s. Right. I mean, that is... he's That's dyed, right? That's not... There's no way that he ever that was that's not his yeah, natural. I'm pretty hair. sure it was completely white in the seventies when he was hosting SNL. So. Yeah. It's not like suddenly he had this uh mysterious spurt of brown hair. <laughs> that's right. I remember the King Tut skit. He had he was a silver fox then. Uh but he encounters uh Felix LaPaglia, Joe from Empire Records making his return. Uh Juliet Lewis, who plays Gracie. She has not been on the podcast since Natural, natural Born, Born Killers. Killers. Okay. Uh, but they're your standard white trash couple. Uh, she's pregnant, and they, you know, he's chasing her around. I, I wish he had a frying pan in his hand while he was chasing <laughs> her. But, um, and we get what is a perennial or um, uh, what's the word? A reoccurring cameo as well with uh, John Stewart and Parker Posey. Do they have names? Do their characters have names? I don't think so. I don't just to see the credits. But... Yeah, they're just the tree haters. No, well, tree they are trying to get their tree home. And Steve Martin keeps running into them and ruining their Christmas. So the implication is that they keep going back for a new tree. Yeah, yeah. and every time they get hit by Steve Martin. and That is a, a delightful spinoff <laughs> movie that never happened. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear their side of this. A very young John Stewart, we might add, and uh, Parker Posey. Um, but again, Lifesavers Suicide Hotline uh, is run out of a condominium uh, in which the landlord is Gary Shandling. We have to write down his character's name, but TJ, I do believe you have that on hand. Stanley Tannenbaum. Okay. Tannenbaum. And uh, he's no, he's. I really like the scene because he's the creepy landlord or the cheap landlord, I should say, and he's undoing half the lights to save money on the light bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is creepy. We come to find out later that he is creepy, not just cheap. Well, even right. at the beginning, he asks about the people calling about oh, suicide, that's right. yeah. and if, I just noticed that this time around, where he was like. Do any of them eat their own eat glass? Or like he's <laughs> inquiring about all these ways they would kill themselves. Uh, but he serves notice that there's eviction coming their way. They haven't paid their rent in three months. Uh, but of course, this is information that Philip doesn't want to share with uh, Catherine or Miss Muchnick. It's Christmas. It is, after all. It's Christmas Eve. They, we, get, we get to hear of them answer a few suicide Right, you can calls. tell that they're not really good at their job. Mm-hmm. Even though their, I mean, their hearts a, are in the right place. Yeah, well, they have a, a little board there that says "Life Saved," and it's on the thousands, right? It's like fifteen hundred at least. Yeah, it's... they could be very generous with what they count as a life saved, but I think that they've had at least some measure of success. Uh, so later, when Steve Martin says that he hasn't accomplished anything, I think he's being a little too hard on, on 
on what his company has achieved. But being that it's Christmas Eve, the aforementioned uh, Miss Muchnick is going to have Christmas dinner with her dead husband's family. And they make sure to mention her dead husband over and over again. Uh, on her way out, though, Steve Martin tries to gift her, or gives her a gift, I should say. And I believe the implication is it's the exact same fruitcake she gave him the year prior. He's regifting one-year-old fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> Only Steve Martin can get away with that. He does have a certain charm about him when he gives it as well. Uh, she goes to take the freight elevator down. It's a very primitive elevator, uh, and she gets stuck. And basically, all the gifts she has for her, I guess, would they still be nieces and nephews? Does I mean, death remove that? No. Oh. <laughs> they're they're just like uh, her dead husband's something. Okay. Uh, but basically, she begins to make any type of clatter or noise she can to draw attention to herself, but no one's paying attention. Not even our Adam Sandler cameo. <laughs> uh, yes, we are introduced to early 90s Adam Sandler in his infinite glory here, and it's everything you would want from an Adam Sandler introductory scene. It's pure, unadulterated Adam Sandler. The, the, the industry hadn't gotten its claws yeah. on him. Just <laughs> singing silly songs like yeah. only he the, can The do. most Adam Sandler voice you could think of. And uh, he was carrying like a palm tree or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it wouldn't have surprised me if Madeline Kahn had spent the entire movie in the elevator because she's she's quite the comedian, so... She could have done it. Not many people mm -hmm. can pull off being stuck in an elevator for an entire movie. So when that happened, I thought, okay, so this is going to be the Madeline Kahn show. Every time we cut to her, she's going to be doing something silly. I think I thought elevator. that the first time I saw it. Yeah, because she's there for at least you know 20 minutes of the movie or more. Mm -hmm. uh, but then this movie keeps surprising you because actually, she actually gets out later. Uh, she does try to get Sandler's attention. Uh, Louie is his character in the movie. She throws the fruitcake down the basically the elevator shaft to try to get his attention. But it's right as he's shutting the door so he doesn't hear it. Um, we get a call to Lifesavers that is uh, an androgynous voice basically lamenting that they're alone on Christmas and wanting company and basically just trying to guilt the address of Lifesavers out of Steve Martin. Yeah, which is, I think it's smart. I never thought about it. It's probably one of the things I appreciate the most about this movie is that it's not something, it's not a setting that you're familiar with, not something you think about. But yeah, of course, the holidays would be the time when a hotline, a suicide hotline, would be at its busiest and its most desperate, probably. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that they would have rules like, yeah, we can't give you the address. <laughs> yeah. We can't really can't tell you anything about myself. Yeah, and uh, but the fact that that Steve Martin breaks that rule just uh, and they got to be careful too because they've got this pervert that's repeatedly calling the line. Sidebar that goes out through the entire movie. Do we ever find out who that was? Oh, they mentioned that yeah. there's the seaside strangler. Yeah, it's uh, it's Gary Shandling. Oh, that's why I said well, that he turns out to be a friend. Alert. I thought I thought you were gonna at least wait till you described the whole movie. Though. Yeah, a spoiler. Well, no, well, now I had to like because I couldn't believe that you well, missed that. I, I missed that. So cats out of the bag throughout the movie. There's a reoccurring reference to the, the seaside sea strangler. Exactly. Well, well okay. So With why, fishing twine. So why did you and think? Raping. Why did you think that Juliet Lewis was getting all that money at the end? They found twine in his bag. <laughs> no, no, no. I know that. My question was, so Gary Shandling was the pervert that was calling the line over and over again. Oh, no. That, oh, oh, you're sorry. You're okay, talking about okay. a different person. Okay, so, so we Julio just spoiled it for no reason. <laughs> okay. Uh, it bad. was probably Gary Shandling. Okay, we can just assume on that. Yeah. End. He's speaking in a, like, fake accent or something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to speak to a woman. <laughs> I, I was so looking forward to you explaining how you thought that Juliet Lewis had gotten all that money. No, I got that. She killed Rodney Dangerfield and stole his car. <laughs> um, shit. 
So, lo and behold, the voice on the other line, we uh, cut from the office to where that call is coming from, and it is the incomparable, the one and only, Sabretooth himself, Cotton Weary, Leif Schreiber making his... I did do research on this part. This was the first uh, feature film that he was in. And he got billing, too. Yeah, he's... I mean, he's not last billing, right? He's ahead of uh, of uh, John Stewart and Parker Posey. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been on a TV show around this time, but this was the first movie he was in. But he is uh, a transgendered woman. And really... I think it's just maybe a cross-dresser. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think no, so. I think... And see, I'm about to demonstrate my ignorance when it comes to terms. Because cross-dresser would be only if he just... If he dresses a woman, but still identified as a man, right? Mm-hmm. But I think he clearly identifies as a woman. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. There's there's a lot of sexual tension between him and Steve Martin and later him and uh, uh, Sandler, so... Yeah. We get our, our Christmas love scene between those two, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, probably the most uh, hard, or the, excuse me, the hardest scene in the film to watch here, you know, and we're talking about a movie of suicide and murder, uh, and you know, white trash relationships all the while. But Leif Schreiber's family just making fun of him for his lifestyle. They they stop. Was it they're singing Christmas carols? Right. They stop to make fun of him, and then they go back to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you know a few years later they'd be voting for Roy Moore in Alabama. <laughs> I think that's worst. maybe another reason why it had such low ratings because it was so dark. Like they almost played it like comedic, but it was also like you felt bad. So I don't know. Yeah. I like dark comedy, so yeah, the, I enjoyed it. But I the Leaf see... Schreiber uh, plot line is just fascinating yeah. to watch unfold because I kept waiting for them to to just you know, show that it's a movie from the 90s and do something really horrible. Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, maybe because of Schreiber's performance or because uh, because it's directed by Nora Ephron and not by <laughs> a lesser director, but the movie actually makes it into one of its best uh, assets. Uh, we get one of our throwaway characters in Susan, who is uh, Philip's fiance. She calls to tell him that she's been in another relationship and essentially leaves him. Um, really, this is just a trope to leave the door open for a Christmas romance. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, romance in this movie. Just you just don't see it off the off at the beginning. But I kind of like that that it wasn't the whole movie. It was just like almost a side plot. The yeah, it, it evolves very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, that's I think that's Jolie Fisher. I'm trying to check that right now. Definitely, I mean, I think she's a name. But out yes. of everybody in the in the cast, the least recognizable probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's still that's just because this cast is just dynamite. I mean, right. every every time a new character showed up, it was somebody that we've come to know later. I was about to say we still got an A lister or two to go. So. Yeah, uh, Gracie, the Juliet Lewis character, we come to find out is friends with uh, Catherine, um, of course, who, uh, Rita Wilson. Excuse me. Uh, so in all this drama, we find out that she and Felix uh, Lapaglia, uh, they're having a baby. He's an artist. And they're a wall bro- artist, a wall artist, but he With doesn't no have wall. a wall to paint on. Uh, they're broke and basically trying to figure out how they're going to bring this baby into the world. Um, a very common uh, <laughs> problem. Yeah, exactly. You know, no decade confines that issue. Uh, but she says she's seven months pregnant, uh, but their fighting basically reaches a fever pitch and she can't take anymore. So she goes to the Lifesavers uh, office to meet with her friend, uh, Catherine. And basically they just crash the whole place. She she leaves La Paglia uh, dressed in the Santa suit, mm-hmm. and I think at that point I realized that he was going to spend the entire movie in the Santa suit, 
Oh, and I was it, ecstatic about that. Yeah, if somebody can pull that off, it's Anthony Paglia. Yes. back when he was young, he, he still spent most of it. I mean, he was back in it by the end. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he takes it off for like a few scenes, but then it comes back with his big earrings and his hair. You know, he was just if he had the lip ring pierced or the lip ring going through the middle of his bottom lip, he would have been ready for the new metal movement of two thousand. <laughs> In the process of arriving at the office, number one, uh, our fruitcake, which is the one constant throughout the entire movie, gets picked up by Juliette Lewis. And when she goes to basically hail the elevator, it fixes it. Uh, meanwhile, Steve Martin's trying to fish out uh, Miss Muchnick. And so, you know, comedy ensues. We get uh, uh, a pretty awesome stunt. I think, I believe, based on the shooting, the, the, the way it's shot, I think uh, Steve Martin and Madeline Kahn did their own stunts here. <laughs> And you get like this pretty awesome Mission Impossible one moment where the elevator first is going down while he's trying to get her up, uh, you know, through the roof. But then it starts going up, mm-hmm. and then Martin and Khan are trapped on the roof of the elevator as it approaches the the ceiling, and they're gonna get squished, uh, much like Emilio. Emilio mm-hmm. in Mission Impossible one. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. It turns from a comedy suddenly to this action thriller for five <laughs> minutes, and then and then we move on. And we get back up to the office, and more drama ensues with LaPaglia and Lewis. Eventually, um, who, it's, uh, Muchnik hits him in the head, right? Or does she take the fruitcake and hit him? Uh, some, no, Juliet Lewis does it, okay. I think. Is it with the fruitcake? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, it's the, the weapon, yeah. yeah. So, I think then, it was still in the 10, though, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fruitcake. Well, I just the, figured, it's been a year, so that fruitcake's gotta be, like, mm-hmm. a... Hard fruit, as a rock. Fruit break. It's a it's a weapon at this point. She weaponizes the fruitcake and bashes <laughs> Joe over the head with it. Uh, Lapaglia falls to the ground like a sack of potatoes. Um, being that it's Christmas Eve, they're aware that they're not going to have a doctor to go to. Or really, yeah, They any... couldn't afford to either, probably. That's right. Um, so, you know, this movie is not done pulling the rabbits out of the hat yet. As uh, Steve Martin mentions that he has a vet that he's used in the past and can help him out. Basically relating Anthony Anthony LaPaglia to a dog. Now, Martin, well, granted, we're not, that's not his apartment, I guess. But, yeah, he has a vet, but we never see any indication that he has any animals. Mm-hmm. So, I well, think... Well, no, but then he says he uh, he had him put his dog down. Oh, is that uh, yeah. what? Yeah. See, I was laughing so much, I kept missing stuff. <laughs> I was too busy trying to figure out who was on the other end of the phone, and just, <laughs> I only caught bits and pieces here and there. But you're pretty good. Like, if you could have identified the voice. I mean, somebody was going to do it, it would be you, because you recognize Leif Schreiber's voice. Well, that's also, other... you know, that's a personal connection I right, have with you're, the Leif. president of the Leif Schreiber fan club. Well, And you know he does all the, the narration for, like, all the boxing documentaries on HBO and everything. No, I did not know that. And they always start voiced by Leif Schreiber. He's, Imagine a world. Uh, between Marvel movies and, uh, and slow indie projects. Yes. And uh, what's that? Showtime show he has. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's his bread and butter. Ray Donovan? Ray Donovan. I was going to say Donovan Morgan. Um, but yeah, all the anticipation, we find out that the veterinarian, the friend of Steve Martin, is, of course, Rob Reiner. He comes out of the shadows like he just did fucking five rails in the bathroom. <laughs> and it's clear he has holiday plans of his own, but uh, Dr. Kinsky is his name in the film. Um, but for whatever reason, his Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, yeah. Do no harm, save, uh, leave no man behind. 
Leave no Paglia behind. He cancels his date. Well, more like his date cancels on him. No man behind you. Mean no dog behind you. Cat. <laughs> well, but Lapaglia. But I he mean, didn't know. In this oh, case, that's right. That's right. He thought it was a it was a dog. That's when true. they when they told him Felix needed help, he thought <laughs> it obviously was it was a cat. Yeah. And then they get into an amazing argument about uh, which came first. Yeah, the, the person ca- <laughs> named Felix or a cat. He said before there was a cat named Felix, there were people named Felix, and Rob Reiner's like, no, I think if you look that up, you'll find it very much the other way. <laughs> That's, it's the 90s, so obviously you couldn't just Google that. I think Reiner was full of shit, but, mm-hmm. but still then, a great line, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he gets he gets his own, like, couple of minutes of just doing stand-up. Where he, he goes all Seinfeld, and he's like... Well, the pillow thing? Yeah, he's yeah. like, so what is it about women and pillows? <laughs> so they have that whole conversation in a Ben Stiller movie. I don't remember which one it is. Uh, but, along but came Polly. Yeah, it's like almost exactly the same really? conversation. Okay, well, I've seen Along Came Polly and I don't remember. So that goes to Reiner's delivery that I think I'll remember now. Yeah, uh, Deborah Messing has all the pillows in Ben Stiller. Is that Along Came Polly? It's the one with... Uh, um... Well, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's right, finest Philip comedic Exactly, hour. yes. Um, Jennifer <clears throat> Aniston. Yes, because Deborah Messing hooks up with Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria's in that movie? Yeah. Man, that's... We might need to do an it's episode. A, it's a murderer's Paul. row. You got Alec Baldwin in there. Um, isn't oh, moving along? Yeah. Still not a better cast than the one in Mixed Nuts. No, absolutely not. I mean, do we get any? We do get in the end an interaction with Rob Reiner and Juliette Lewis. Everybody comes together. That's right. Uh, the only big name that I think it just comes in and and, and then is gone for good is uh, Stephen Wright, mm-hmm. who calls. Before he kills himself, and then uh, the, the faulty line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, in that's in the first like fifteen minutes of the movie. Stephen Wright calls a suicide hotline, has a gun to his head essentially, and says, "I'm at the end of my rope." And she, uh, Catherine, is on the other end of the line, and says, "I'm hitting some st- uh, some static. Can you click the the hanger? Click it. Click it. Click, click it. it. <laughs> Do yeah. it." And of course, we hear him shoot himself off screen. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Maybe that's where they lost their good reviews. All the people, they just wanted a fun slapstick. <laughs> oh, those Stephen Wright movie. fans were like, fuck that. I want to imagine all the marketing, like uh, Love and Other Drugs, where they marketed it completely the wrong way. All the marketing material was just Adam Sandler. Where's the Christmas tree? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so essentially what the scene in the veterinary's office, Rob Reiner's office, brings us to is he has a bottle of painkillers that he helps for dogs that he operates on. And Anthony Napaglia downs the whole bottle, essentially ODing. And we get a Weekend at Bernie's-esque, uh, basically, segment where he's dead weight and they're dipping him in out of water, trying to wake him up. It's, uh, you know... Just a, a bit of a flashback to Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> what you call that? Reverse waterboarding. That is. Uh, you know, here on The Contrarians, we're used to, you know... Anthony LaPaglia going for it in terms of, you know, dramatic Anthony LaPaglia. This is, he's comedic, flexing his comedy muscles Yeah, here. comedic LaPaglia was, was a welcome surprise. I would have, because I mainly think of him as the guy from Empire Records, I would have pegged him as the uptight landlord rather mm-hmm. than thinking he was going to be the bomb artist that, <laughs> that really gets probably the most pratfalls. Second to Steve Martin, probably. He, the landlord, when he doesn't get paid, he goes into his office and plays his drum set. Yeah, angrily. Uh, back at the office, the power is going in and out. Was it ever explained why we had these intermittent power surges? Probably so Gary Shandling could strangle women. Uh, that or just saving money on electricity <laughs> again. Yeah, like yeah. maybe, I don't know. Uh, but it's down to Juliette Lewis and uh, Miss Munchnik. Munchnik 
at the office and the power's going in and out. And this is where we get our biggest uh, disposition about the Seaside Strangler. Right. We get basically... Juliette Lewis is taunting Mrs. What is it? Munchkin? Munchnik. Munchnik. Man, I had the same problem with uh, uh, when we did Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. I kept calling him Mr. Munchkin. Yeah, <laughs> Munchnik or whatever. It might yeah. be related. It's all part of the same universe. But yeah, so the Seaside Strangler uh, strangles women with fishing twine and then rapes them and then dumps their bodies. It's such a casual but he has a joke. he has a type, and so Juliette Lewis is taunting uh, Madeline Kahn's character. Mm-hmm. Because she's obviously not his type. She's like, prob- the doorbell starts ringing. She's like, it's probably the seaside strangler coming to get you. Yeah, he goes for brunettes with long hair, and they're young. Mm-hmm. So really, none of it matches uh, Madeline Kahn, because she's an older woman, and she has but short red hair. paranoid about it anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, like I said, it's just such a casual rape joke. That I mean, she Juliet Lewis kind of like throws it out as she's walking off into the bathroom. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah, he's gonna rape you, and it's just in a holiday movie. It, it's hilarious. I, I know. It's just it's it, it's mind blowing that it works. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't really. Well, I guess ninety three percent of the critics didn't think so, but no. uh, but yeah, that's I was like only Nora Ephron can like pull that off. Uh, Leif Schreiber shows up at the office, Chris, and. Essentially, uh, knocks, kicks the door open and knocks out Madeline Kahn. Right. Well, I mean, he doesn't break in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juliet Lewis opens it, right? And then he, he yes, pushes I'm it sorry, open. Yes, I'm sorry. He doesn't kick it in. She opens it and just it gets swung around and knocks yeah, her say, out. Yeah, uh, There's a lot of inadvertent injury in this. Because yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what you do around the holidays. You accidentally hurt the ones you love. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's true. Uh, but he's there. Or she, excuse me, Chris is there to enjoy the holidays and basically just becomes a part of this potpourri of madness. He's he's yet another mixed nut or another nut that gets mixed in. There you go. With the, dude, there is a the sign of greatness for many movies is can you pull off saying the title of your movie in the movie? And this one does. Steve Martin has that little moment where the he titular line. Yeah. Where he uh he just explains his backstory. He's reliving his backstory with uh with Rita Wilson, and he just talks about how his dad. Wait, don't forget the inspirational speech he gave to someone who called the suicide hotline first. In every pothole, there is hope. <laughs> <laughs> that was an amazing scene. Yeah, yeah, it goes for a little bit, and it it was still funny by the time that it was over. Uh, yeah, and then he yeah he says that that's what his dad used to say, and then his dad one day walked out and got hit by a truck. Of mixed nuts. Yes. And then he doesn't even look at the camera and wink, but we all get it. Mm-hmm. He just said the title of the movie. Bravo. With all that's going on, Gracie and Catherine find time to kind of wander away. Uh, Gracie, does she own that shop that she has access to, or does she just work there? She, It's basically a, a secondhand store, a boutique that sells clothing. She has to own it because it's named uh, Amazing Gracie, which I didn't see at first. Because I think when the lights are turned on inside, you can't see the, the sign. Mm-hmm. But th- when they first get there, the lights are off. And, uh, yeah, you can see the, the name. So, unless she has a, a boss that's also named Gracie. <laughs> because they imply how poor she is, I assume she just also lives there. Like, that would be my theory. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's not that poor. If you own your a, a own Buffalo business. Buffalo Exchange for that point in time would be that story. <laughs> uh, but she takes Catherine there. And this is where we get the... The reveal. Christmas makeover. <laughs> yes, the Christmas makeover and also the reveal that 
she's in love with Philip Steve Martin's character. But we could all tell. Oh, absolutely. Sparks were flying. You know, they were at a low murmur there in the beginning. Yeah, but... when you have uh, when you have good actors, then you don't really need to put it on the script. The performance just does it for you. And her reaction when she finds out that Steve Martin has been dumped by, by his, his fiance. by his fiance, it, it that just says it all. Back at the lifesavers office, Philip returns to find Chris, leave Schreiber, and we have basically an awkward exchange of. He wants to do the right thing, but he's made uncomfortable by the lifestyle of Chris. Uh, but it is the '90s. So it is. It's the early '90s. In, in context, this is an even braver scene. I mean, now it wouldn't be. I have I progressive scene written in my notes here. I, I wrote progressive Sandler because of what happens later. <laughs> well, also, you gave a strange, like a suicidal stranger, your address when you weren't supposed to, mm-hmm. and they're there. Right. So, <laughs> so Liv Schreiber. Could have just been. He could have not been a transvestite. He could have just been a, a man, a straight man, or a woman. woman. It would still, it would still yeah. be an awkward situation That's to true. find yourself in. It's just intensified. You can read Steve Martin's body language because of the situation, right? But the universal language of love, which is dance, brings them together. <laughs> yes, uh, because he, uh, Steve Martin, tries to give like a tale of confidence, and in the '60s, he entered into a dance contest and won. And she says, I bet you're a wonderful dancer and will you dance with me? And it's a really great scene. It, you know, it seems very free flowing and uh, spontaneous. You, you can tell he doesn't want to at first, but he's a nice enough person that he does it anyway. But yeah. and then then he by the end, it. he's yeah. really into it. <laughs> That's a great comedic. It doesn't surprise me from from Steve Martin that he would be so good at, at physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Probably the first time I've seen Liv Schreiber. I mean, short of seeing him running a saber tooth. In Wolverine Origins, is the most physical comedy I've seen him do. Jeez. Uh, but during all this, um, Madeline Kahn wakes up and sees what's going on and basically bursts out in disgust. But prior to this, her whole reason for being angry was she found out about the eviction notice. Yeah, she she kind of... Uh, well, no, I was going to say she gay shames Steve Martin. And I was going to say, well, she's old. But then, no, because she actually thinks that... Uh, She's, she barely sees uh, Chris, so she doesn't realize he's a transvestite. She, well, I think she's firstly mad about the eviction notice, and right. then like the fact that he didn't tell them that they were getting evicted, and then he's just <laughs> dancing, dancing with, with this some person. woman. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a, it's a lot to take yeah. in at once <laughs> after being knocked out. Yeah, yeah. So Miss Muchnick goes down to her car uh, on her way out. Steve Martin says, uh, "Enjoy dinner with your dead sister's husband." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so she goes to her car while everyone else is coming back in. Gracie and Catherine, that is, uh, says he's up there with some strumpet. Adam Sandler is uh, down curbside with with Miss Muchnick, whose car, you know, as as it always happens, there's issues with it, so they're waiting on AAA. Yeah, if your if your flight is not delayed during the holidays, your car won't start. But it, that is that has to happen to what someone. What was the automobile club? Yeah, <laughs> because Adam Sandler's character couldn't get in, or he was in, but they kicked him out because he didn't have an automobile. Uh, I just have in my notes here: this becomes the Adam Sandler show because this <laughs> Louis, uh, throughout most of the movie, said he clearly is smitten with Kath, the Catherine character, and he has a song he wants to play, and we get this literally no less than about probably two or three minute long song from Adam Sandler on his um, ukulele. Yeah, just when you think that you were just getting a dollop of Adam Sandler. Yeah, just brief flashes. Then suddenly he finally comes into the apartment or the office and, and then gets an actual part to play. 
Yeah, and, and he's wearing an amazing ensemble. <laughs> yeah, when did he change oh, clothes? Uh, Juliette Lewis's character was giving them all makeovers, so that's why like they all were wearing different suits. Oh, like a scene okay, later. okay. Because first she gives it to Catherine, and so she's dressed nice when she gets there, and then she makes like a little side comment that she's going to do Philip, and then Louis next. That's right, because she brings that awesome blazer for yeah. uh, Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. Yeah, and Louis's like, "I want to match," and yeah. she's like, "I'll do you next." And that's why in the next scene, he's like dressed ridiculously. <laughs> he's got that straw hat on, and yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit of Opera Man, a little bit of the Hurley Boy. It's a lot of his a uh, lot of just the silly voices. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of Sandler just playing the uh, ukulele and ukulele nonsense. And just yeah, doing his his Sandler thing. Uh, Back when it was it, when it was funny, <laughs> when it was funny, it was, it was yeah, it was new and fresh. He was at his peak. He was peak comedy. And in an odd turn of events, watching this movie that's twenty three years old, uh, it was funny, and then it got old, and then it was funny again. And now it's funny again. <laughs> <laughs> um. They have Chinese food for dinner. On their way back up, the fruitcake was handed back off, so that was taken back up to the office. Steve Martin becomes livid when he finds this. and uh, He has he has that classic, perfect moment of outrage where you are re-gifted something that you re-gifted yourself. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's pure holiday Unacceptable. comedy. Unacceptable. Yeah. And then he uh, frisbees it out the window, and it lands on uh, Madeline Kahn's car right as it was starting. Takes out her window. Uh, so she gets out and she becomes a, a a mess, and you know it's Christmas. She wants to feel love and welcomeness. So a character we're introduced to earlier in the movie, very briefly, Mr. Lobel, who has his three dogs and keeps calling her a dog hater, comes up and he says something that reminds her of her her dead, her husband. dead husband. Yeah. So she takes that. What as can a sign. I do you for? What can I do you for? That's it. She takes that as a sign and takes him to the beach, and she gets her Christmas cheer. You get that classy sex scene that's just a wide shot. And you can tell it's been decades since she <laughs> has had any, so... Yeah, you you basically, the movie... She's very up, says, uptight. This is not something that that's very popular to say, but sometimes you need to just get laid <laughs> to, to for it to improve your mood. Yeah. It, it turns out that all Madeline Kahn needed to become a happier person because she's been grumpy the entire movie. She just needed to blow off some steam. She just needed to, she's all that, let her hair down, (laughs) take her glasses off. She just mounts Mr. Hobel, Sobel? Lobel. Lobel. Hobel, Sobel, Lobel. (laughs) He he is the guy, okay, he, I don't know. Jolie Fisher, I know her name at least, and I kind of, she looked familiar. This guy, he is... He's got to have been starstruck the entire time he was on set. <laughs> Everywhere he looked, he has to have thought that there was a mistake that he got cast because everybody else is a name uh, of some sort. Had to wear sunglasses the entire <laughs> filming just because all the brighting, yeah. burning bright stars next to him. Yeah, and to his credit, he 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 manages. Mm-hmm. He's there. He's not out of place. By the time you get to the to the final scene where he's surrounded by everybody else uh, at the same time, uh, he's fine. He's Even just part at the, of the opening, table. he's great when he's like calling her a dog hater. Right, he's just right. Like, yeah. At the time, I thought he was just a character that was not going to come back. So I was yeah. like, all right, so this this extra got like a few lines and, and made the most of it. But no, he comes back. And it's part of a Malin Khan's arc. So that's pretty impressive. Much like Friday the 13th, part six 
Lapaglia lives. He he awakens. And... Well, you guys actually thought maybe he had died because they're like <laughs> every, everybody's back at the apartment and we never saw it happen. It well, is a when movie they... that plays with with that kind of humor. So well, they cut to the Rob Reiner's office and there's an ambulance and they're just shutting the back of it. And I was like, oh fuck! It's like beer fest when yeah. landfill dies. And then a whole bunch of stuff happens before we see him again. But you know? like you know, I was having a good time as far as all the dark humor goes. This was one that really worried me. Uh, the American metal, medical system, the way we treat our sick and ill, he could be dead and he's just on a stretcher and no one's tending to him. He's just in a hallway somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's the holidays. It is. I mean, they have bigger fish, fish to fry. They have all yeah. those suicides that they had to clean up from earlier. <laughs> Somebody, I mean. A Kids Steven, coming Steven in with Wright. Lincoln logs in their eyes, you know. Stephen Wright is somewhere in yeah. that hospital also. Somebody found his body. He was at a payphone. That would have been great if they just wheeled by a body that had a sheet <laughs> over it, just blood. <laughs> uh, but Anthony LaPaglia escapes the compound that is the American medical system. <laughs> and he goes back to the apartment, most likely the shop that... Juliette Lewis runs. I like that theory that she lives in that store as well. Pulls a pistol out of a cookie jar. Heads back to the Lifesaver's office and essentially holds everyone hostage there. Didn't Not essentially. Be, That's about the fourth literally. essentially I've dropped. He literally <laughs> takes a gun out and holds everyone hostage The there. gun is... I mean, you've heard of Chekhov's gun, right? Like, mm-hmm. the whole... You introduce a gun in the first act, it's going to be used in the third act. And They introduce movie. this in the third act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you have... Uh, uh, no, I think they Jacobs. did introduce it earlier. Right, yeah, you see yeah. it at the beginning when, oh, okay. uh, when he's talking about – oh, because Juliette Lewis had the gun when yeah. she was chasing uh, the, the John Stewart and whatever. And then it's he just put commonplace it behavior on the boardwalk in <laughs> yeah. L.A. And then, yeah, she puts it away in the cookie jar. Yeah, but then they also – this movie has two Chekhov things because it also has a Chekhov pregnant belly. Mm-hmm. Where you introduce a pregnant belly in the first act, and then and you it's going to get shot in the third one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, you will see a, a pregnant a pregnancy come to a to a happy end. Mm-hmm. I think. Do you call it like no? Because that sounds like an abortion. It, it comes you to ahead of yourself here. <laughs> well, you know, it's checkup. We already exposed who the seaside killer is. Um, strangler. Seaside strangler. Yeah. Whatever. Slash rapist, apparently. It all ends well. Or all just a creepy guy. <laughs> all ends well. Who dies well? Oh, but I like when he shot the gun in the air and Juliette Lewis just kept eating. Like, while they were all panicked, she yeah. was still eating her chicken. From She's the used Chinese to this. Dude. I was about to say, like, this is commonplace yeah. for her. Uh, and Chris steps up. Leif Schreiber tries to wrestle it away from LaPaglia and he shoots Chris in the foot. So Chris is down and out. And it's Juliette Lewis that eventually wrestles a gun away from him, right? Uh, is it? I don't know. There's there's a big like pile over. Uh, like, people pile on him. Yeah, well, it was her because she shot the gun through the. Oh yeah, yeah she ends up with the gun, right? Because she says you have to empty it, so then she just starts <laughs> haphazardly shooting it around the apartment. That has to be a California thing, because yeah. I don't. I have never heard that. Granted, we live in Texas, so here you never empty your gun just because. No, you you aim at people. If right, you're gonna, if yeah. you're gonna shoot, you're shooting to kill, yeah. <laughs> or at least to, to harm. Uh, but she does shoot once through the window and twice through the front door. And once the shot goes through the front door, you hear uh, the buzzer, basically the doorbell, just being laid on. And everyone's kind of staring at the door, not sure what to make of it. And they go and open it, and there's Gary Shandling with a bullet hole in his head. <laughs> and he falls forward. So for about an hour of the movie now, you've been worried that somebody's going to die on screen. Because you know, Stephen Wright already died off screen. Mm-hmm. And, and now it finally happens. Yes. They were not messing around. Somebody was going to die. 
And then she points out that, or was it Steve Martin that pointed out they still probably will get evicted even though they're landlords? <laughs> yeah, because uh, Ritter Wilson goes, it's a miracle. Like, nope. No, the eviction will probably still stand. Uh, this is Steve Martin's finest hour in this movie where uh, he takes the gun from her, sees the body, he takes his sleeve out and rubs his fingerprints off the gun, puts it in Juliette Lewis's hand, basically clamps her hand onto it, and then puts it on the table. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great scene. Uh, but basically, they go into panic mode, not sure how to clean up this mess. Uh, but Rita Wilson has an anxiety attack. Yeah, she's in shock. Mm-hmm. And, and then somehow, <laughs> this, I don't, it, again, in a movie that somehow makes really, really uh, uh, bold choices when it comes to scenes that shouldn't work, but somehow work, you have Steve Martin hooking up with her he's trying to comfort her first it right but it's jump from that yeah but you could he picks it, her it, up and up, up over the dead body they establish earlier in the movie that she goes to the bathtub right. when she is like is when she's detail. stressed out yeah. yeah but she doesn't fill up the bathtub and here no she yeah. martin just like turns it off well she said she was cold oh yeah she yeah, started yeah. panicking and said she was cold yeah but it's such treacherous territory to show a male character grab a female character that's in shock and and then ask her if she wants him to undress her. Well, no, he doesn't. He says, do you want me to get uh, Gracie Gracie to undress you? And she says, you? no. And then he says, do you want me to undress you? <laughs> and she said, yes. It's like, yes, technically that's consent, but she's in shock, so maybe not. Fortunately, we have it documented on film here. That <laughs> well, they'd also they'd established earlier because Mrs. Munchnik, Munchnik, Madeline Kahn <laughs> had said to him in the stairwell right. that she wanted to get with him. Basically, <laughs> she was like, "He, she, something about like I can't remember the exact line, but it was hilarious." <laughs> and he's like, "Really? Morning. Like yeah, he's completely say, shocked by it." Steve Martin delivery. <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Philip and Catherine, I have a heart here on my notes. They come together in, in the way that both of them were wanting. Uh, during all this, Susan shows back up and Juliet Lewis answers the door. He can't. He's in the bath right now with uh, Catherine. Do you want to come back? And that's the last we see of her, right? Yeah. yeah. She just They just got her back for one scene. And I was like, all right, now we got closure. We paid her for two hours on set. We might as well get all of it. Yeah. Uh, now, while this is going on, my favorite part of the movie is uh, the payoff to the Adam Sandler song, <laughs> mm-hmm. which also includes my note, Progressive Sandler. First, because uh, Liv Schreiber is freaking out about the bullet, who, which turns out only we graced his foot. We forgot to mention that. Yeah, she yeah. almost got shot. Yeah, the... I mean, it graced yeah. his foot. There's a little blood. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe. but it was it, that's what was great, and it's also kind of like thrown away. I think Sandler is the only character that refers to Liv Schreiber as a she. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm going to take care of her or I'll make sure she's all right or something. Which I was like, cool, Sandler. Like, out of nowhere, I wouldn't have expected his character to be just so with the times or even ahead of time. Get you some Tylenol with the Cody. <laughs> yeah, and then they bond and he, the greatest thing is that he ends up playing the song that he played for Rita Wilson. He just adjusts it, adjusts it to play it for for. Well, he does for two verses, and then he turns it to Adam Sandler, where he's just making. Yeah, here hidden in this uh, small holiday comedy, there's just this very progressive relationship between. Uh, it's sweet. Adam Sandler it's charming. And, yeah. It is charming. It's a charming movie about suicide hotline. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and during this scene of progression, there's also. Uh, 
a parallel scene of ingenuity when Juliette Lewis and Anthony LaPaglia figure out that they're going to put uh, Gary Chandling's body in uh, the tree, or basically that he becomes the tree. They strip it of all its branches and limbs. They put him into a couple duffel bags and then super glue the leaves and branches to him. Never seen that in a movie. I haven't seen it since. <laughs> that just happened once. Uh, Nora Ephron copyrighted it. It's like nobody else can do this. And yeah. then they play out Tenenbaum, which is his last name. Hey, uh, and then they develop their plan to take it and put it on the boardwalk and leave it there. Uh, and there's this argument between LaPaglia and Steve Martin about what a plan is. And I love Adam Sandler poking his head in. It's like, hey, we're going to take this body and put it down on the boardwalk. That's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good plan. I'll help. <laughs> so they attempt to take it down. They want to be as uh, inconspicuous as possible. So they're caroling and appearing, appearing to be jolly. Uh, they get down there. Some of them actually are jolly. Like it's true. Weeb uh, Shriver's interpretive dancing behind. And, and Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn, yeah. yeah. She, oh, yeah, she joins them. She's doing the just had sex dance. (laughs) And then Steve Martin's look on his face. Like he's so upset. They're so so happy. Can you believe this mixed nuts? (laughs) He should have said that looking at the camera. Can you believe this batch of mixed nuts? And, you know, we think we're in the home stretch. We're all clear, but it's not to be as we get our final run in from Parker Posey and Jon Stewart. Yeah. It's it's the third time we've seen them, right? They showed up somewhere mm-hmm. halfway through the movie, and uh, and now they're back charging with at a the, vengeance. Yeah. They're gonna crash into their tree for getting them back. I would have given up on the tree at this point if I was them, because <laughs> mm-hmm. literally we it's saw Christmas them in the morning. Eve, it's like almost midnight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just go home. So they charge at, and basically what's left is that they have no other choice. But they both just by both I mean Steve Martin and Anthony Paglia just hurl the tree. Uh, Gary Shandling's body up in the air, and he just lands with a vicious thud, attracting a, a very large crowd of people, including the police. Uh, I am glad that Nora Ephron had the restraint not to have the body just explode upon hitting the floor, much like uh, um, we've referenced this before, uh, the president from the West Wing um, in The Departed. What's his name? Um, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, when he falls off in The Departed and he explodes and like a bunch of guts. It could have happened here. And I know if I'd been directing this movie, I wouldn't have restrained myself. Because at this point, I'd be like, we've gone so far. Mm-hmm. That would be a great gag. But Nora Ephron obviously knows what she's doing. Uh, LaPaglia doesn't... Uh, not LaPaglia. Uh, Chandler. Chandling. <laughs> doesn't, could I doesn't, be <laughs> any more dead? <laughs> uh, he would have been starstruck as well. Who? Chandler? Chandler. Matthew Perry? He would have been a boy. He would have <laughs> been a, a child at this point, yeah. Uh Anthony LaPaglia owns up to the murder, saying he did it because mainly he doesn't want Juliette Lewis to go to prison. And we get this uh, chase that ensues to where he climbs atop a a building there on the boardwalk and is threatening to kill himself. Not before we can get our cameo of the film in a movie that's filled with stars and stars to be. Oh, God, yes. Coming back to the contrarians. We get a young, svelte, couldn't have been older than four, Haley Joel Osment. (laughs) That basically just points and says, Santa. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. You know, I just realized the absurdity of him holding a gun to his head while he's on top of the building. <laughs> yeah. It, it just now hit And me. I think they already unloaded all the bullets from That's the gun. Right. Yeah. Like at this point, it's just proof that they murdered a guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Juliette Lewis refers to as the murder weapon. Yeah, she pulls it out of her bosom. 
it's all semantics at this point because Steve Martin goes into his speech about why Christmas makes people more unhappy and puts everything to a microscope. And Isolated is a really good speech that he gives. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, I, I was starting to write Oscar moment for Steve Martin, but not really. It's more like the holiday clip. You know how once a movie becomes beloved, they, mm -hmm. there's there's specific clips that get hey, played. Hey, Clarence Lenz. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they'll be just... Steve Martin having that speech that just applies to every Christmas everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I was talking about earlier when we were talking about the quotes. The feeling that, yeah, emotions are intensified during the holidays. And he tells Apaglia, yeah, it's not that that you're afraid that you're a loser or that your wife might go or your girlfriend might go to prison or whatever. It's just that it's Christmas and Christmas sucks whenever something bad's going on. And this it's, is Steve Martin's gift to himself because throughout the whole movie it's always been his... He can talk to people on the phone, but his interpersonal skills in person are not, you know, his social skills are not up to par. Uh, and in this case, he literally talks a man off a ledge face to face. So it's, you know, rewarding for the audience and uh, Philip alike. And this leads to everyone being sat down by the police saying they're going to take them downtown for questioning. Uh, Gary Shandling's bag they take over and they discover that he was the seaside strangler. Because his bag was full of what? Twine and fishing. Kelp. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like circumstantial evidence. <laughs> I did think the investigation was a bit brief before they. Well, it's like, God damn it, it's the holidays. We need to get home for the turkey. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they. Uh, it, it's just such a moment of complete fulfillment for everybody because there's a reward right not only is she exonerated from the crime she is she gets a reward which means that she can give steve martin the money that he needs to keep his, his to the business the business mm -hmm. open um and i mean obviously it also means that she can get a wall for la paglia down the line and uh it would not be all tied up in a bow if it wasn't for her going to labor following all that. Right, right. The excitement, which prompts the return of uh, of Rob Reiner. Which, again, he just kind of appears like he was coming out of a bathroom doing cocaine. <laughs> and he's like, uh, what's going on over here? <laughs> and he delivers the baby and the closing shot. It, well, one, you get a town crier, Anthony LaPaglia, with the big bell. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And we pan out and it pays off, you know, I don't want to say it telegraphed this by any means, but as soon as I saw uh, Juliette Lewis's character pregnant and then she put that headdress on, I was like, oh, the Virgin Mary. So they do a recreation of the first Christmas shot. To close yeah, the, the, the nativity shot, the classic nativity shot, only instead of a donkey, it's just the dogs from Mr. Sobel? Lobel. Lobel, God damn it. And I'm sorry, that's not the closing shot. They fade to uh, several months from there, and then there's a mural of the mixed nuts painted on a wall there on the boardwalk. Right. La Paglia got his, his wall, finally. And he painted a picture that was okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> what you'd expect from that character. I, I know. Like, <laughs> it's what, you expect, like, Jeff Daniels' character in Pleasantville, but instead you just get, like, a finger painting. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I'm glad that it didn't go so far into fantasy land. Like, money can't fix everything. It will not give you talent. Yeah. No. So... That was Jeff Daniels, right, in Pleasantville? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Now I'm doubting myself, but I'm going to say... You know Paul Walker's in that movie. Really? Yeah, he's the guy that uh, has sex with Reese Witherspoon. He's like the star athlete at the school. Oh, when I saw that movie, Fast and Furious was not a thing. Well, so. Pleasantville's just, just a great movie. But that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about mixed nuts and... Uh, do we have anything to add before we move on to some mixed real talk? <laughs> uh, 
No, I, I think we covered it. It was, it was, it was a delightful hidden gem. And I think in Nora Ephron's filmography, because I was surprised when I found out that that was her mm-hmm. uh, from the team that would later bring you Bewitched, the the Ephron sisters. Yeah, comes a movie that for some reason made it, uh, barely made it. I was gonna say twenty three years I've never heard of or seen this film, and I quite enjoyed it, much like the cashew you find at the bottom of the uh, can <laughs> of mixed nuts. Yeah, much like the uh, what is it that when they're eating Chinese food and Steve Martin is looking for, he's like, who ate the Something, some sort of nuts. Was it the oh the, the water, water chestnuts? The water chestnuts. Yeah. I that washed over me. I didn't even know the water chestnuts. <laughs> he <laughs> says it like says three it. times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great movie. If you want to get like a little pretentious, it reminded me of, uh, and of course I don't remember the name of this Buñuel movie, but there's it's about a bunch of rich people. They're having dinner and they can't leave the the apartment. They keep trying to leave the house or the apartment that they're at. And uh, and they can't, and it's just a surreal movie. And this was a little bit of the same, but brought down to the American version of it, where it's just like... Remember an episode of Buffy where they couldn't... Like, uh, the, is that the, the one house. where they're having sex the entire time? The uh, Buffy and... Uh, Spike? No, no, no. Buffy and Riley are having sex and in the middle of a party. And and everyone else just wants to leave, and there's I think like so. a spell. Yeah, yeah it might yeah. be. But this one, yeah. Because the whole thing, like the entire movie revolves around... Uh, the office, the what are they called? Lifesavers, right? Life the Lifesavers yes. office. And no matter what they do, especially in Madeline Khan's uh, uh, subplot, she can't leave. Nobody mm. can leave. They keep coming back to it and, and until they Because they need each other. Right. But until they realize it, they're not going to, you know, their story's not going to be over until they each play their part, which was pretty important. I mean, if, uh, if things hadn't happened the way that they happened, then Steve Martin wouldn't have been able to prevent Lapaglia from committing suicide, and that was going to happen sooner or later. Yes, <laughs> the way he was headed, that man had a gun in his cookie jar. Yep, <laughs> it was going to end badly, no matter what. Uh, all right, well, I'm ready for real talk. Let's do it. Can I be that guest that needs to take a bathroom? Break? Oh, dude, we always it, take it, a little it, break. It happens. Here. Yeah. Yeah, it happens to us too. In mixed nuts, your first role was playing a transvestite. Yeah. In uh, a scene where you danced with Steve Martin, it's kind of yeah. I remember this scene quite well, and <laughs> you towering over Steve Martin. It's a really funny scene, yeah. uh, and you are very convincing in that role. But it was your first. It was one of your first big jobs, wasn't it? It was actually my first film. I, I, I had never. I had never. I mean, it was Nora Ephron. Sven Nyquist was the DP. Uh, uh, Rob Reiner, Steve Martin, Madeline Kahn, who I was obsessed with my whole life. Uh, a remarkable group of actors, and I was just, uh, I was blown away. I mean, up before then, I'd been doing, you know, Shakespeare in the Park for 300 bucks a week, and suddenly there's this incredible spread of, like, pastry and smoked fish. <laughs> and I show up f- for the first read-through, or what I assumed would be the first read-through, and I'm so nervous, I'm literally shaking around everybody because there's all these movie stars, and it's just, it freaks me out to see them. And the woman comes down, the AD comes down and says, you know, no, you're, you're not going to be in the read-through. You're going to go upstairs and do a dance rehearsal with Steve, Steve Martin, you know. Who, right, Steve yeah. Martin, right. Yeah. So uh, I say, no, 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 I can't because I don't have my shoes. And I'm wearing jeans, and and what I was really thinking to my, and anyways, she said, she said, you'll it'll, it'll, you'll get it. She 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 said, oh, but we have some sweatpants for you, and we have some high heels for you. I went, well, shit, they've got me. Yeah. <laughs> I went and I changed, and I, I realized that I had worn boxer shorts 
under my jeans. And the, the guys know when you wear boxer shorts with sweatpants, it's you problematic. You don't get... <laughs> You don't get a ton of uh, protection right. coverage, so to say. Or, or support. And uh, so I'm going to meet Steve Martin for the first time. He was a fairly curmudgeon guy. And we're going to do the Foxtrot. And I don't know if you know the Foxtrot, but the Foxtrot is accomplished by the man sticking his leg between the woman's legs and leading him around the dance floor. And I thought to myself, I sort of chuckled to myself, boy, would this be inappropriate if I you know, became around. Yes, it, it would be inappropriate. Absolutely. If you became aroused. Anyways, nothing could have been more inappropriate. So, of course, I get probably the best I've ever had. In what? With Steve Martin. The best. And I'm, I'm mortified because we haven't even shook hands yet. And already. And every time he spins me, it's a thwack into his leg. Okay, we're recording for Real Talk. For Mixed Nuts. Poster's pretty cool. Looking at that. That uh, Steve Martin's face. Does With... it have a tagline or anything? Um... Sometimes you have to mix the nuts. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> uh, mixed Nuts. I can't see that. It's a shitty resolution poster. Uh, directed by Nora Ephron. Uh, written by the Sisters Ephron. Released on December 21st, 1994. So right up on that Christmas date. Uh, budget of fifteen million with a box office return of a bit under seven million. So how can you? How can that bomb? It's Steve Martin. What on other a Christmas, movie? Christmas movies were coming out at that time? Right, that's true. Like, Maybe what stole its thunder? To... Let's see. I'll I'll be looking that up, but y'all continue amongst <laughs> yourselves. Yeah, if you like, if you told me today that Steve Martin had a, a Christmas movie coming out, even if it was just him and you know not anybody that was nobody else that was famous. I would still think it would make decent money. Did it bomb harder than Bad Santa too? Uh, I'm not even uh, gonna look the numbers up to tell you no. <laughs> uh, hold on, I think I found the cause of our problem here. Okay. I'm just trying to confirm what would have caused this to bomb. It was shortly after the Steve Martin sex scandal of the '90s. <laughs> Jesus, on the set of Jerk, <laughs> he gave me a vibrator. He kept jerking it. Oh God. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, a little ditty starring Tim Allen by the name of the Santa Claus was running up against oh, it. Oh, no. Yeah, so uh, conversely, that movie had a budget of $22 million for a box office return of close to $200 million. God, Damn. that's got to be like the passing of the torch in the most painful manner. <laughs> and Martin, well, once a comedy superstar, I guess, it must have felt like shit. Well, also, to... that's a family film, whereas this right. is a film about suicide. Yeah, I mean, it's still a fun movie, but it's not for kids. Yeah, you're not bringing the family to to watch Mixed Nuts. And if you did, you're probably regretting it. I was going to say, I think that's probably the point, though, is uh, you get all full of Christmas goodness. And I, I'm curious what the trailer for this looked like. How did you come across this movie, TJ? I went to a family video to rent a movie, and I saw Steve Martin on a cover of a movie I'd never seen, and it didn't even look like a Christmas <laughs> movie. It was just called Mixed Nuts, and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this. It's got Steve Martin in it. Oh, cool. It's got Adam Sandler, too. And then I watched it, and it became one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. That's fair enough, man. Uh, and yeah, we can't stress enough. Let's just go ahead and put this on the table. Vintage Adam Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let that hit you as it may, because I, I am not the biggest Sandler fan. Uh, his brand of comedy doesn't work with me. 
I, I could tell as we were watching, it worked a lot better on you two than it me than it did on me. Mm-hmm. But I still laughed. Uh, but I don't know that. You know, I was laughing at how Sandler it was. Yes. Not necessarily at like, oh, it's funny. It's just like it was so Sandler that it was funny. But it also works great in smaller moments that than too. like if that was the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that he gets that that awesome payoff where he sings the song to Lip Schreiber yeah. after having sung the song to uh, Rita Wilson, I think that that's that's definitely like I said, I was not kidding. In Contrarian's Corner, I I think that that's my favorite part of the movie, uh, right up there also with the. With the dance scene between Steve Martin and Leap Schreiber. I was trying to look for it while we were talking here. I was curious because there's no swearing in it, but the subject material is pretty heavy. It was a PG-13 rating. Oh, that's misleading. I'm mm. sure that they a bunch called, of families. Yeah, they called the... Uh, when she was stuck in the elevator, she called them all dickheads. That was yeah. the only cussing <laughs> I remember. <laughs> uh, as far as why it would have bombed, Steve Martin was not the attraction that he was, and there's really no one else in there of name value, is there? Right. Well, according to that critic, though, it was like, this is the first, the beginning of Steve Martin's bad movies, bad comedy. So what did he do before uh, uh, Mixed Nuts? And while you look that up, I'm going to read I was about to say, while I look this up, who enjoyed this movie out of the 7% that did? Uh, Like I said, not many reviews, so there's only two positive quotes. Ken Hankey from Mountain Express in Asheville, North Carolina, says, Odd, oddly likable little comedy. And then Brandon Judell from Popcorn Q says, Quirky, enjoyable comedy with an unknown Parker Posey on roller skates and Adam Sandler being charming in a real minor part. That's what he took from the movie. The five seconds of Parker Posey yep. <laughs> and, the, and the tiny Adam Sandler part. No mention of Steve Martin, no mention of Rita Wilson, <laughs> Madeline Kahn. But he still no, liked it. <laughs> but he liked it. He was like, I'll, I'll give it I'll give it a red tomato just because of that. Uh, I mean, it's definitely, what, more than 20 years after its release, I think definitely one of the things that makes it stand out now is that that cast is crazy. It, it, it's literally every major character is played by somebody that would later become a bigger name. Mm-hmm. Uh that doesn't just happen, <laughs> you know. John Stewart does he have any lines? Yeah, at the end, I, I know he at the very end when they're charging against uh, Steve Martin and his group, he says something. Mm. Uh, Parker Posey probably says a couple things too. Um, I don't know whatever will happen to Mr. Lobel if he ever. Maybe he just went into theater. <laughs> he went to the Broadway adaptation of Mixed Nuts. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like leading into this, we had Three Amigos, Little Shop of Horrors, Roxanne, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Parenthood, My Blue Heaven, L.A. Story, Father of the Bride. Mm. That, was, that was a hit. Father of the Bride was a big hit. It was a hit. I, I, I'm not a big fan it, of it, But though. still, like it was well-liked, so that review wouldn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, that review yeah. would consider it part of the good... Uh, the good Steve Martin era. Grand Canyon, House Sitter, Leap of Faith, and the band played on. Simple Twist of Faith. After this. Father... It's like that moment when you realize that Steve Martin has more movies than you were ever aware of. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Father of the Bride Part 2, Sergeant Bilko, The Spanish Prisoner, The Prince of Egypt, The Out of Towners, Bowfinger, which we had mentioned. That's way later. Yeah. Uh, Bringing Down the House in 2003. Queen Latifah, Eugene, uh, Eugene Levy. Shop Girl. Do you like Shop Girl? Yeah. Claire yeah. Danes. He directed that one, or he mm. wrote it. Uh, but he's, he doesn't just act He was a it. writer and a producer yeah. on it. Anyway, um, yeah, 
I mean, this is not one of those movies that I'm mad that we watched. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, tonally, there's some inconsistencies to it, but I think as far as a Christmas movie goes, it's such a different story that that makes it memorable and recognizable on its own. Yeah, I felt like I had the cast, obviously, it's something that wouldn't apply to when it was released. When it was released, I guess you were watching Steve Martin, Rita Wilson, Madeline Kahn, and then a bunch of people that you didn't really know. Well, you probably knew Adam Sandler, maybe. Uh, but uh, but then you have the unusual setting of the the crisis hotline, which I really enjoyed, and then it made me laugh. I kept laughing through the movie, and you know, not just because it was recognition of the of the names that would become names later. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were general, genuinely funny moments. Uh, some of it didn't quite work for me. Like most of the the pratfalls, I I didn't need them. Uh, I think Steve Martin is really funny, but maybe fifty percent of his his fall is uh, you know when every time that he like got hit by a door or he there's like early in the movie there's a moment where he goes to answer the phone and he just falls. Yeah, there was a uh, lot of slapstick. <laughs> yeah, all this slapstick stuff is like I don't need it. You guys are doing better than that already. You yeah. you could have like taken that out and and that'll be fine. But it's still you know it still made me laugh. I I just the seven percent is crazy. Yeah, uh, it really feels like you have. Tim Allen to blame for that. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Which will go on to have, what, two sequels? Mm-hmm. In- Which, yeah, I was talking to TJ earlier. I didn't know there was a third one with Martin Short. Oh, no, I didn't know that either. Yeah, he's Jack Frost. Yeah, it's it's a fun movie. But, but, but Tim Allen's still in it? Yeah. Okay. I thought that maybe you were saying that Martin Short had replaced Tim Allen. It's Santa Claus the Escape Clause, and he's trying to get out to get someone else to be Santa Claus, but then Martin Short's character, Jack Frost, shows up. Is that direct-to-video? No, it was in theaters, I think. I, I saw it later on DVD, though, so I'm not like, 100% sure. It feels like, sure. like Home Alone 3 when yeah. Macaulay No, was it was the same right? cast. Okay. Like, it was still Home like Aloneer. Tim Allen, yeah. Um, so what's his name? The elf that gets gr- grows up, even though all the other elves stay. Why are we talking about another Christmas movie? Bartleby, Should we talk about the elf? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there are a lot of those pratfalls, but the moments that are really funny, like I wasn't kidding in the first portion. That is an amazing, just comedic scene where he takes the gun, wipes his fingerprints <laughs> off, and gives it back to Juliet Lewis. Uh, yeah, that to me, and I've mentioned like three times already. The dancing is, I just. That is great. That is a, a moment of pure like physical comedy that works so well. Where um, he's like not wanting to, and right? Then he gets, yeah, that's a really good. The scene. way he's like sticking his butt out yeah. at first, uh, and and what really, I think a lot of it also comes from the relief that they never cross that line. At least in my opinion, where they are treating uh, uh, Chris, you know, the Leaf Schreiber character, as a joke just because he's a, a transsexual. Uh, you know, the joke is really. Steve Martin's awkwardness about the whole thing. And you could replace that character with just the character of a woman that makes him uncomfortable. And it would still, still everything would play. Yeah. Yeah. It would still be him refusing to dance and then suddenly getting comfortable and dancing. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's just really good. And uh, the fact that they, I don't know, the movie goes there and it doesn't miss a step. Yeah. I, I, I really liked it. And, I mean, uh, granted, it's his first film, uh, a departure from what we would come to know as Leif Schreiber. <laughs> I wonder what his next movie was. Were they like, hey, remember that transvestite from... Uh, uh, his next movie? Is not, it would have been Scream, I think. 
<laughs> I'm sure nobody saw Mixed Nuts. Oh, there you go. Anyone that was making a movie probably went and saw Santa Claus. Yeah, Scream ends with, and introducing Liv Schreiber. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Nora Ephron did me a solid. Let's see here. Um, but yeah, the cast, I mean, Juliette Lewis always, before the movie started, I asked TJ's like, so is she like serious or she did like the Juliette Lewis white trash screaming thing? And he's like, I'll just let you watch the movie. And yeah, I mean, either way, she's a fantastic actress, but God, I love when she does that white trash character because she's so good at it. Classic white trash. Uh, we see her, the moment that we see her, she's pregnant. And of course, I just wanted to be uh, Mallory from Natural Board Killers. Just just left Mickey, and now she's having the kid with La Paglia. <laughs> well, like we said, La, La Paglia and Empire Records is Felix that goes to rehab and gets cleaned up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is his, his wild years. Uh, I was going to say, he, Juliette Lewis is probably waiting for him at home in uh, Empire Records, but no, because he hooks up with that. Uh, Jane. With Jane. so no. The perennial 90s actress that I can never remember her name. <laughs> Who's not in this movie. She should have played... Susan? It wasn't Feruza Balk, was it? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was, uh, what's her name? She had weird contacts in that movie, didn't she's she? In, mm-hmm. Empire Records. Yeah, she's an entourage. Uh, the, she's drama's agent in entourage. She is, that's right. Man, I'm just having, a, I should have my laptop to resource, research all these things. Um, the power of the internet, Alex. It's, it's intense. Rob Reiner, awesome. Yes, uh, just looking at the the opening credits, it was just such a list of names that I recognize. And of course, when you see a movie like this, you expect them to be there, peppered among other people. Mm-hmm. But this was just all of them, and and they all have substantial parts, except for John Stewart and Parker Posey. Well, I would imagine they were just a hundred percent nobodies in ninety four, right? There's no way that this was like right? the Daily or ninety two. There was it a, came out in 94, but like I said, wow. we were basing the 92 thing just off there was an ad Terminator for Terminator 2. 2. <laughs> yeah. This was, there's no way that this was The Daily Show's Jon Stewart. No. Yeah. This so. was even before uh, Half-Baked Jon Stewart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Debbie Mazar. Debbie Mazar. There yeah. you go. Yeah. She should have played Susan. Yes. It's a little cameo. Uh, yeah. Really cool. And I, I guess... I, there's things that don't make sense or ever go anywhere. Like the... It's never explained why the power goes in and out at their place, and no, they have the a, perverts never exposed. Although I, I like, think that was just supposed to be like a funny phone call because they just had random calls throughout the movie that didn't really like but the, progress the plot, but were still kind of funny. Oh well, yeah, there is a phone call that that Steve Martin just leaves hanging there, uh, right? This when uh, I think it's where Lapaglia comes in with the gun or something, mm-hmm. and he just <laughs> he just has the the receiver out there, and then he hangs up. So, I guess maybe they're just going and, you know, they're trying to capture that feeling that when you work at a crisis hotline, there are some stories that you never know how they end. I guess that's true. I also, I don't think you thought the phone call was as funny as I did, but it was funny and sad at the same time when the lady calls and she's like, I was going to get a turkey and I was in the 10 <laughs> items or less line. And Dude, that was great. Then I no. realized that... I was going to be in the 10 items or less line for the rest of my life. No, I love and it. And Rita Wilson's like, I know. She's looking at Steve Martin and she's like, I know. Rita Wilson, I, I, this movie is probably the one where I just went, I wish we had more Rita Wilson in other mm. movies. Uh, and I know she has movies that I haven't seen, but uh, obviously, the, like I said in the previous, you know, in hashtag CC, that 
she automatically gets eclipsed by Tom Hanks. Yeah. Just because Tom Hanks is one of the biggest stars out there. Uh, but uh, And that's not a sexist thing. If Meryl Streep had a husband who was an actor, the he exact would be, same thing would he happen. He would be Meryl Streep's husband. Mr. Meryl Streep. <laughs> Mr. Meryl Streep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but she's, she's just really good here. I mean, she, she basically carries the movie with Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. She's like the other strong character that's all the way there. And she, she gets to play... Uh, Really silly stuff that works probably about as well as, you know, for me, it works about as well as most of the, the C. Martin stuff. And then she has, like, that moment, uh, those moments where she just gets in the bathtub and mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can I can totally feel her pain of just not being happy during the holidays. My favorite scene with her and Steve Martin is the comedic one where she's on a call and it gets hung up and he comes back. He's just like, if they really need help, they'll call back. And then they both just stare at the phone. <laughs> it's a Stephen Wright call. We're like, yeah, we yeah, know, yeah, we know yeah, that he killed himself. That's right. And, he's, and it's working. <laughs> uh, I could see where an easy critique would be. The ending wraps everything up too perfectly. And it's like, if you're hung up on that and not how ridiculous the movie's movie, been, yeah. Th- yeah, far. I mean, there's a movie where the, they disguise a dead body as a Christmas tree. And it almost works. <laughs> they could have gotten away with it if not for that pesky John Stewart and that pesky uh, <laughs> and their little dog pussy. too. <laughs> yeah. I guess you have to be able to laugh at suicide and murder to find this movie funny. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, if dark comedy is not your cup of tea, this certainly isn't the Christmas movie for you. But I enjoy things on the darker side of the comedic scale. But it's not even the tone that dark. isn't dark, but the subject matter is, and I yeah. think maybe that's why a lot of critics didn't like it. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, even when you get to the end, and, and it's just that that speech from Steve Martin, you can put it's it in. It's still like, heartwarming. Right. Like, it's, it's still like a fun, like a feel-good Christmas movie despite it, the dark exactly. subject it's matter. It's a 100% Christmas movie, uh, and, and it works. Uh, yeah, no, I think plausibility goes out the window the moment uh, Madeline Kahn recognizes fruitcake from last year. <laughs> I was going to say the moment Steve Martin's hair is brown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is an alternate universe where the laws of physics have changed a little bit. Uh, yeah. But yeah. What is it What is it with that choice? Why would he have brown hair? It's not like mm-hmm. it makes it funnier. I mean... A lot of times it comes down to writer or director. Just... Nora Ephron didn't think she could sell a movie unless she made Steve Martin look <laughs> a little younger. They'll Give come... him a little sex appeal. Yeah. yeah. They'll come watch it because the novelty of seeing him with brown hair. <laughs> Tiger beat Steve Martin. <laughs> uh, maybe they're like, with white hair, he looks like Rita Wilson's dad. So, no, it, it won't work. Uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty puzzling. I mean... Uh, you know, speaking of Father of the Bride 2, he dyes his hair black, I think, in that one. Yeah. Uh, Sounds about right. Doesn't he have black hair in uh, Little Shop of Horrors, too? This, that was, like, right before He's this He's the one? dentist in that, right? Yeah. That scene's so fucking weird. I don't remember. <laughs> this movie was based off either a French movie or a French novel, or maybe it was a novel first and then a movie. Oh, and... Maybe the character had <laughs> dark hair, and she was just trying to be... Real, like, to the source material. Yeah. Trying to be loyal to the, yeah. the ridge. Yeah, because you know those nerds <laughs> were going to just riot if she changed the hair color of the Steve Martin character. Uh, hashtag not my mixed nuts. Yeah. <laughs> What's his name, Philip? Yeah. Not hashtag my not Phillip. my Philip. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not anything to really overthink or overanalyze, but it is just, it's a fun Christmas movie. Um 
again, like I was telling TJ when we weren't recording, we've watched a lot of shit that I was mad we watched when it was over, and this is certainly not one of those. And 7% is just ridiculous. I can understand why it's not for everybody. can definitely understand why it didn't do that well at the box office, but to have that low of a quote-unquote approval rating is ridiculous. Well, and that's a problem that you know people would just, if anybody looked it up and they saw, oh, 7% Rotten Tomatoes, it must be bad. Mm-hmm. I think it you even know, was it, up for Razzie. Like, I think it was that, that like, people that doesn't thought it was sense. that bad. Yeah, I don't no. get it. That's why it makes me mad. I don't have to make people watch this movie every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it will join the, the rotation with uh, along with Reindeer games and family stone and you can say it alex home for the holidays now oh that's a thanksgiving movie though uh it was a 1982 french movie uh le mix nuts 1982 french comedy film uh, i'm not going to les pieds noel es un order santa claus is a stinker is the (laughs) american interpretation of it yeah um so we have that solved. It'd be funny if the main character in that movie has white hair. <laughs> Just so people don't get confused, the American version is going to have a The French hair. actor Martin Stevenson. <laughs> Le Martin Stevenson. Uh, yeah, I don't Steve know. Steve Le Martin. That's what Steve Le Martin. Uh, no, good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we watched it. I think that's another one where uh, the rating... And Rotten Tomatoes definitely does not work. I would give it a B, solid B. Uh, if I'm using the Mattis scale, my scale, three and a half stars. C plus probably on my end. Uh, oh, C plus, you bastard. Okay, seven percent. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like you, what I did, like you said in the first part, was Hollywood hadn't gotten his hooks in Sandler yet because it is before anyone rang him in and said like, <laughs> all right, we need to channel this. Cause... Right before they throw him, hey, you know this thick. You can just keep doing it for the rest of your life, and you'll be all set. You know, this was the one that he brought this to the movie, and then he was going to move on to do something else. Yeah. But they're like, you know, we like the ukulele, we like the weird voice. Just, just keep doing it. He was like, jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> I like pie. Like, he started singing about the foods that he likes That's in the middle of, like, a Christmas song that he's singing. <laughs> he's like, soup is good. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right, so that would be our Christmas bonus episode. That was Mixed Nuts. Uh, we're currently in the process. Uh, our episode 51. Uh, schedule- oh, yeah, we got, a, we got a delay. Yeah, scheduling of that got pushed back a little this bit. This is what happens when you try to do, like, a big epic crossover across oceans. Yeah, uh, Chaz. During the holidays, no less. Yeah, over in Australia, where it, which Australia is the one continent that's far away from everybody. <laughs> so it's the- They set their own rules. Exactly. So we're trying to get that arranged for about the midway point. I think the weekend of the 13th in January. Yeah, so it'll probably be episode 53 instead of episode 51. Okay. Um, which means that we have to figure out 51 and 52. I'm sure uh, we can do that. But yeah, but instead, as a makeup gift for those of you... Uh, our faithful our listeners. Our faithful listeners who wanted to hear Chaz's voice and insight into a terrible movie um, on New Year's. Instead, we're going to just add another bonus episode that will be a New Year's episode, mm-hmm. which is what, Alex? 200 cigarettes with the aforementioned Debbie Mazar. So, uh, and uh, perennial predator Casey Affleck. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it was unavoidable. It was. Guess, uh, Mazar- He's only in it for like 10 minutes, though. So that has the uh, epic Courtney Love, Paul Rudd love story. You know, I've, I've seen 
maybe 20 minutes of it and mm. that's it like then that's you ever seen M- 200 cigarettes no i never have it's i don't think movie, i've heard right? of it yeah it was an mtv movie from 1999 it's a new year's eve movie based in the 80s it's like dave Chappelle, courtney love paul rudd ben affleck casey affleck debbie mazar uh a whole cornucopia yeah that sounds insane it's, yeah it's the mixed nuts of uh new year's movies <laughs> i definitely need to see this movie like you had me sold at like <laughs> Debbie New Year's Eve movie, yeah. and now just and like Paul Rudd has like the the starburns thing going on, and yeah, it's uh, it's something else. Uh, but this brings us to a wind down portion of our podcast, TJ, and of course we want to throw it over to you because you got a lot going on. What would you like to plug while we have you on our show? Yes, I sing in a band called Hans Gruber and the Diehards, and we have a New Year's Eve show coming up at Kick Butt Coffee on Airport. And that's eight bands for ten bucks on New Year's Eve. That's two dollars so, a band. No, yeah, less than that. something like that. Will that be inside or inside? In the free parking. Way better than going back? downtown. It's got a good parking lot because they kind of share it with some other it's places. Owned by Specs, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. but they all close, so there's plenty of parking. Um, you can listen to us, Hans Gruber and the Diehards dot com. We're on Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, all that good stuff. Yeah, we we plugged you. I don't remember which episode was it, because uh, I remember I I mentioned DJ and you're like, oh yeah, he's an animal. Yeah, and I was well, like, that describes him on stage. No, yeah, the, the I had met you several times before, and then I watched a video on YouTube of you all playing. I was like, oh, <laughs> he's like a borderline Gigi Allen up there. I get a little. I try to get into that. I get yeah. a little crazy. No, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to say this though. My band is named after. A, People call it a Christmas movie, but I've seen Mixed Nuts more times than I've seen Die Hard. <laughs> well, actually, you hadn't seen Die Hard, right? Not until when you... you gave it. I, I was like ashamed that I had never seen any of the Die Hard movies. Right. And so you let me borrow it. But you already named your band by then, right? No. What happened was I watched, I marathoned the first four. I've still never seen the fifth one. And keep it that uh, way. <laughs> so I marathoned the first four like over the summer. And then the guys, we had just started a band, but we didn't have a drummer. And they called me up. And they're like, oh, we got a show. Do you think we'll be ready in this time? I'm like, yeah, I, as long as we can practice a bunch before, I'm good. And uh, they're like, we had to think of a name. So we just said Hans Gruber and the Diehards. And <laughs> like I had just watched all those movies. And it just stuck. We're like, well... We're not really going to beat that. Like, that's a great name. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Um, the so yeah, I didn't know Kick Butt Coffee had a music. I like, guess a stage there. Or? They're basically like the place to book punk shows right now. Really? Yeah, they uh, have expanded. Like they used to have a real small like open mic stage, and now they have like a full size stage, really good sound. Like, nice. And it's cool because all the shows are all ages. Um, yeah, and to echo something you said, also yeah, highly better alternative than going downtown yeah it's way less stressful <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love downtown i love being downtown but i hate driving downtown and i hate parking downtown mm-hmm. so i really it's an effort to go the there. i think Uber we've talked cert. about this before yeah i guess Uber. this is sort of a shout out to kick butt coffee too they have a lot of great shows they also do open mic nights they have a lot of cool stuff going on there so nice support kick butt coffee there you go uh julio uh i just watched um uh, this awesome i think you would still call it a feature i don't know it's like 60 minutes a little under maybe so but it's not a short right uh it's a sci-fi movie it's called restoration is co-written and directed by Stu willis who happens to be speaking of australia and Chaz fisher is Chaz's co-host uh on draft zero mm-hmm. and uh so that movie played at the uh 
at Reed's Sci-Fi Festival. Uh, the Other Worlds. Did you go? I saw pictures. I, I went and saw uh, Closer Than We Think, a uh, documentary on Arthur uh, Redabaugh, who was a illustrator from like the 50s and 60s. One of those kind of fascinating tales about he drew a bunch of things like in the future, <laughs> and a lot of them came to fruition, but he was like a man of great secrecy and like no audio or video exists of him. So, so just his work, his mm. prophecies, so to speak. Yeah. Prophesy. Prophesy? Really? I don't know. Uh, you said it so confidently. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Proceed. Is it penises or peni? Peni. <laughs> well, it's cacti. <laughs> Not cactuses? No, it's really? cacti. Fuck your language. <laughs> um, Where are the cactuses? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so on Sunday they played Restoration, uh, which I was pretty thrilled uh, that they had it. That they were showing it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you can watch it now. I'm assuming. I'm hoping it's available on iTunes. I have to ask Stu how you how you watch it if you're interested in watching it. Uh, but it's it's a pretty awesome sci-fi movie. I don't want to like say anything about it because again, it's a like, shorter than usual runtime. You know, say 50 minutes, and so. You want to enjoy every twist and turn, mm-hmm. but it sets you up in a world where uh, you can. There's the technology to back your consciousness up, so you can go to this special place called the Restoration Services or whatever, and they download your memories, so that if anything happens to you, they can create a backup based on your memories. Hmm. And so you know you died, but you backed yourself up three weeks ago. So then they they can just. They won't bring you back, but they'll create a clone. They implant the memories, so at least your loved ones can <laughs> still get Damn. a version of you. That setup is amazing. And yeah. I finished the movie, and I was like, I loved it, and I wish I could watch an entire TV show set in this world where that kind of stuff happens. Uh, so that's that's my plug. I really I really enjoyed it. Uh, outside of the other worlds, Austin Film Festival, and uh, closer than we think, uh, I've been rewatching a lot of things recently. Nothing that I probably haven't plugged here already. Uh, I did see the Disaster Artist. It's stuck with me more than I was anticipating it doing so. Uh, <laughs> enjoyed it. I mean, it's not going to set the fucking world on fire, but a movie about that, I wouldn't expect to occupy much of my brain time, and it has. So I think that's worth something. Uh, so go out and see it, and then I'm sure we'll talk about Star Wars on our next recording. Yes, hopefully. I don't know if I'll get to watch it. It's the holidays. Uh, holidays the older you get they just fuck everything up well yeah if you work in a movie theater they it's just worse Mm -hmm. uh i i love the holidays and i love star wars but working in a movie theater on christmas when star wars is coming out it's just it just makes sure that you have time for nothing so Mm -hmm. um but hopefully uh, i really want to watch it Mm -hmm. uh tj on the other hand was telling me he hasn't watched any i'm getting really sick and tired of all these star wars (laughs) (laughs) what's the deal with this star war have you not seen any of them i've seen uh the originals and then i had never seen the prequels until like this past year well that was a mistake well just because my my roommate loves star wars and he owned all three and Mm. since the like they were making the new ones i was like oh i just we're i had nothing to do we'll watch them whatever Obviously, I wasn't missing anything, and I don't care enough to see the new ones. I'm just like, it's really put one out I, every year. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I know people that enjoy the prequels, but I that's kind of a buzzkill. I I wouldn't, I don't blame you for not wanting to keep watching after you're done with that because there's nothing. I'm jealous impressive. of Star Wars fans though, because they get like a new movie and cartoon like every other year, and I'm a Ghostbusters fan, and I waited. Hey, you got a new movie last year. decade, and it was not a new movie. It was a <laughs> remake. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's fair. 
I mean, the hill I will one day die on is defending episode three, but... I, oh I yeah, I've heard yeah. you mention that before. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate it. I, I well, it's, isn't it supposed to be like the better of the three? Yeah, but still, that's like saying I don't know what's a disparaging comment you can say. Like it's the best Halloween sequel. That Santa Claus Three is better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's uh, it's all right. I I think that. Fuck you, it, Halloween Four is a quality film. I wouldn't know. I, yeah. <laughs> I've only seen the first one. <laughs> And the, and the real Halloweens by Rob Zombie, <laughs> Roberto Zombarelli. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I think. Uh, uh, I mean, episode three is fine. It just comes on the the way that it's placed in Star Wars history. I guess at this point, is one of those where you just felt relieved that it wasn't worse than than Attack of the Clones. You were also disappointed that it wasn't better because it was the last one that they were going to make for who knows how long. So overall, I think... It's it, like when you get a bad cut and the third time you splash the alcohol on it and it's not as bad as the first two times. Like, no, that wasn't so bad. But it still sucks. You're like, it's my scar. <laughs> so I, I guess I, I've mentioned it before. I know uh, probably the first time that we talked about Force Awakens a couple of years ago. Uh, I really... The whole Star Wars thing really... I really like the turnaround that's... Made for people like me, I know there are people that actually prefer the prequels, and they feel like these new Star Wars movies are not exploring anything new. Whereas, like the prequels, at least were trying to do something new. I I don't know. I mean, I disagree with both statements. Maybe not with the prequels trying to do something new, but I think that something new badly done is really not that that worthy. You know, uh, when's Lumpy from the holiday special going to get his own movie? <laughs> Chewbacca's son. I don't know. It's the only red flag uh, for this movie for Last Jedi. It's uh, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but there's like this creature that's porg. Porg. Uh, yeah. yeah. Have you seen it? Like, yeah. Uh, we sell pork plushies at the theater, and, and I was like, okay, I hope that this is not Jar Jar Every- two point Yeah, everybody's fearing Jar Jar two point and I guess we should have more faith in Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker, but. It's still it's scary. He made Looper. I I trust in him. Yeah, he also made. We all movie. laughed when we saw JGL in those prosthetics. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, complaints. We are the Contrarians at gmail dot com. Uh, what is your favorite holiday movie? That besides most, Family Stone, because that's most Santa Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus. Yeah, and don't bring nuts. the Tim Allen shit. No, we want we want the deep cuts. The don't, mixed don't nuts. bring the Candyman into our <laughs> inbox. Uh, Anything else to add? Uh, no, there will be links to TJ's page, uh, to the Hans Gruber page uh, on our episode notes, as well as links to however you can find restoration. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, what's your plug? Otherworlds Austin and Disaster Artist. Yeah, well, we'll do, as we did, I think, a couple of years ago, we're plugging Otherworlds after it's already happened. Yeah, so you <laughs> but, can get in line for next for, year. For next year, yeah. yeah. Uh, TJ, thank you for not only introducing us to this movie, but being on our podcast. Thanks for having me. And to quote Juliette Lewis and Mixed Nuts, Merry Christmas! (laughs) (laughs) There's no better way to end. (laughs) Get in the car, I'll grab the keys. Let's go make this summer one that's full of memories. You won't regret it. I know a place outside of town. I think you'll really love it. Um...
What happens from here? <laughs> What's well, the you're the one that wrote notes. notes. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote no, jokes, you write notes. Okay. So you're I wrote to... <laughs> nothing. I just enjoyed the movie because it's such oh, a fun movie. 